Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. We're starting a new series today. A couple of years back, we preached through the first four and a half chapters of the book of uh, Ephesians. Uh, Like in a number of uh, the letters of Paul the Apostle, This letter is divided into two halves, and we looked at the first half broadly, uh, who God is, what he's done for us, and when we got to the end of that part, uh, we heard Paul saying these words, the writer of the letter to the Ephesians, I pray that you may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the place where we left off uh, the letter of Ephesians, the love of God. And now for the next few uh, weeks, we're going to be completing the journey, uh, how to live in response to that. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins like this. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So you've got to cast your mind back to that time. I'm sure it's like it was yesterday. And try to remember that sense of the love of God in Christ. And now we're going to think about what it means, what it looks like to, to live differently as individual people, as a community, as an outpouring of that fullness of the love of God. And that's what I hope we're going to gain from these verses today. So Alan Dawes is going to come up and read for us Ephesians uh, chapter 4 verse 17 and onwards, and let's keep the love of God fresh in our ears as we do so. I become Alan. Our reading comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 17. It's on page 1185 in the Pew Bibles. May I just say that the Gentiles as I understand it, in Paul's day, generally worshipped idols and engaged in immoral practices. This is Ephesians 4, beginning at chapter 7, uh, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught 
in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true like and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speaking and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. This year, I took our two older children to Wales camping for half term. I was aware uh, that in October there's a little bit of a, you know, variable weather element possibility. Uh, To be fair, on this occasion, uh, there were uh, moments of dry weather, but they were the exception rather than the rule. And so that oh-so-specifically British challenge uh, came uh, into view. How much of your stuff, your camping stuff, can you keep dry, and how long can you keep it dry for? Well, uh, fortunately, I had the good sense to bring our gazebo, and I was very pleased with this. It's sort of outdoor living space, but you can be underneath it and stay dry and still take in the views. Unfortunately, water sometimes pools in the canvas on the gazebo. And, and one evening, uh, it, was, it was dark, I was fiddling around trying to prepare a meal, and I bumped into the gazebo, and this, this, this pool of water sort of flipped over the side and just poured out onto my back. Well, fortunately, I was wearing my raincoat, and I was feeling very pleased with myself for about 10 seconds, until I realized the amount of water that had come across it had actually soaked the entirety of my raincoat and was now oozing through the three layers uh, underneath. But then, fortunately, I had one of those mini camping tryouts, kit tryouts. Those of you who've been there, you know, I had thought about this before. So I took off 
my sodden coat, no longer any good for this particular camping trip. And I brought my second coat, which I had very carefully kept dry all this time, and uh, put on my new, dry, fit-for-purpose, and hopeful coat. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off, put on. It is the language, very deliberately chosen by the Apostle Paul, of the wardrobe. And the first thing Paul wants to teach us about this radically different way of life, to live as a Christian, he says, it's new clothes. You need new clothes. You need to ditch the old way of life, a life disconnected from God, and you need to put on a new, uh, a new life, a life of Christ-like holiness. Now, in a moment, we're going to drill through the detail of, of what these new clothes might look like, specifically. But let me just part for a moment on this new clothes idea. Because on the one hand, it's one of the most relatable uh, ideas out there ever. Who, at some point, hasn't wanted some kind of a makeover? Yes, you have. Uh, perhaps you've looked in the mirror uh, once uh, in a department store as you tried on you know, a new jacket or something that's not quite you, and you're thinking, oh, that could be the, you know, the new me, I like that, you know. I used to be a school teacher, and uh, I used to have a little inner chuckle every September. Everyone would get back after the summer holidays, and there'd always be at least one or two people who'd clearly gone away, bought themselves a new suit, you know, had a haircut three days before the beginning of term, you know, extra clean shaven, and they'd, they'd waltz in looking appropriately fresh-faced and invincible for the new, new term. But you can probably hear in my language, there's a tiny bit of cynicism there, because the new look thing does invite that sometimes, doesn't it? We know with a bit of effort, every person can look new, or at least a little bit newer, but changing the inside, that's a bit harder to do. Perhaps you actually feel that kind of cynicism towards Christians. Perhaps you, you've had enough of this kind of new life talk because in your experience, you've seen people who dress a certain way and then they avoid using certain words and they wake up a bit earlier on a Sunday morning because they go to church. But frankly, underneath, the people that you've met are not very different, not very new at all. And let's be honest, that no doubt describes some people who call themselves Christians, indeed some people who are Christians. But the Apostle Paul was convinced that it didn't need to. In fact, it, it, it shouldn't be like that. He was convinced that true Christian living must be much more than that. It must be like a totally new you. In fact, he uses the language of new clothes, but only in the sense of deep transformation. Put off, he says. Put off. What? Put off what? A superficial jacket of one set of cultural practices for a new set of cultural practices? No. He says, put off. Have a look down. See whether you can see what it is, he says in verse 20. He says, put off your old self. Wholesale change. Put on a new self created to be like God in right, true righteousness and holiness. He's talking about deep 
transformation, complete character change, is what he imagines. Wow. That's huge. Where do you put Christianity in your CV? It doesn't belong under hobbies. Christianity is about our identity changing. Just one more thing to wrestle with. We're going to think about what that might look like on the surface in just a moment. But what if you can read very clearly what it says here in the scriptures, you accept what Paul is saying, but your whole experience tells you otherwise? In other words, all the people, all the Christians you've ever met are no different to all the other people. In fact, you've probably got a bunch of people, friends who are not Christians, atheists, who are frankly just as loving and kind and sacrificial as all the people you know who are Christians. What if, frankly, your own experience of your own Christian life is you're not really any different? That's challenging, isn't it? If that is our experience, I think we have two options. So the first option is to read what Paul says, acknowledge what it is, and say he's wrong, he's mistaken. Paul, you had an overinflated idea of what change the Christian faith might make. The trouble with that is that basically it means that the whole of Jesus' resurrection power kind of unravels. There is no Holy Spirit after all. You pretty much have to disassemble most of the New Testament to get to that place. That's one option. And it's worth recognizing that for some people, that's where they get to. Because they think, I just want to avoid the hypocrisy. I'm done with all this talk about change. It never happens. So we just, let's just minimize our expectations. At least then no one's lying. But there is another option. It could be that Paul is not mistaken. It's just that you and I haven't seen it yet. In our little corner of Christianity, perhaps there isn't so much change. But there has been in the past. There may be elsewhere. Now, that's not impossible, is it? It's notable, isn't it, in the uh, letter to the Ephesians that clearly change in people's lives was not happening automatically. Paul wouldn't have needed to write the letter to the Ephesians if they were all completely radically changed. He had to say to them, by the way, you need to change. D.L. Moody, the famous uh, evangelist, said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man or woman fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, he said, I aim to be that man. He wanted to say, look, I think we often think that the spiritual engine is the problem. No, no, it's not the engine. It's that we're all honking on the handbrake. That's the issue. Personally, I'm really grateful. That isn't my experience. What I mean by that is to say I have met many extraordinary believers in my life, including many people in this church. And when I look at their way of life, their way of thinking, their way of uh, um, uh, doing things, their character, I just simply can't explain those things by anything other than the supernatural intervention of God. And those encounters for me personally, they give me great courage and hope for myself and for all of us. So I want to encourage you as we, we go ahead into these next chapters, let's look for this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness, holiness. Whatever's happened in the past in your life, however uh, hopeless you feel it is, Let's look to the Lord in faith and hope for a deep work in our own lives and with expectation. Okay, good. Enough of the new clothes. What is this new way going to look like? Okay, I'm going to drill through these quite quickly, but they are wonderful. It's just full of gems, Ephesians chapter 4. The first thing, I think, is a soft heart. The first garment that we put on fittingly 
Uh, nothing superficial about this, a soft heart. So, verse 18, uh, Paul talks about the Gentiles. We read that right at the beginning, being hardened in their hearts or losing all sensitivity. Implication is for a Christian, it should be the opposite. We're called to have soft hearts, sensitive to God's guidance and will. And I think that's what's going on at the end of the reading as well. If you flick down on your Bibles or on your phones to verse 30, there's that enigmatic phrase. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What's that about? I think what he means is, it's like when you know a friend or a partner really well, when you're with them, you can hear and you feel their desires and their preferences, their opinions. You can hear that without them even saying a word. Your heart becomes sensitive to theirs, if you like. And so it is with the Christian and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we, we know our hearts feel what he feels. I wonder where the Spirit is prompting you, prompting us now. Are we sensitive to him, or, or might we be grieving him, resisting what he's saying in our lives? Soft hearts, that's the first thing. Soft hearts. Second, he speaks about wholesome words, wholesome words. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Wholesome words in the sense of telling the truth. I wonder whether you're a truth teller. I think just as falsehood kills relationships, truth telling gives life. So I wonder, is truth telling the free flowing currency of your family life? Is truth telling the free-flowing currency of your business environment? Is it a free-flowing currency in our church? And look, we're, we're clever. We're probably not going to attempt the bare-faced lie. I don't, but I don't think that really is where the challenge is. It's the falsehood in, in our world is going to be the repetition of half-truths. The times when you say one thing that is true all the time, and then you never say the other thing that is. Or, or the kind of, oh, apparently X said to Y, sort of uh, Chinese whisper stuff. That's the challenge for us in speaking truthfully. Wholesome words in the sense of truthful. And wholesome also in the sense of upbuilding. Have a look down to verse 29. Verse 29. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Oh, I read that. I was very convicted when I read that. I wonder about you. How often have I spoken, because I've got to get this off my chest. I must say this. And what the Apostle Paul says, no, don't say what it is that you think you need to get off your chest. Say what you think will benefit the people around you for their upbuilding and their, their constructive needs that will meet their needs. Wholesome words. Next, next, good Anger. Good anger. And yes, you heard and saw that right. Good anger. Verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. There is a place for anger. Jesus got angry. God got angry. Both of them are without sin and they got angry. There is such a thing as passionate, righteous indignation. The trouble is passion can cloud our judgment and then sin can creep in. Uh, perhaps at some point, our, our anger becomes less about the cause that is righteous and more about um, us getting our way. It, it, at some point, it becomes less about the truth 
and more about me being vindicated, me being shown to be right, or more about my opponent's suffering. That's the trouble with anger. I wonder whether there's anger in your life. Listen, there probably is, isn't there, for all of us. But this was spoken into real lives. The question is, what will we do? Are there places in our lives, in our marriages, in our lives together, where anger is leading us into sin? Well, what has Paul got to say to this? He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Uh, most of us uh, of a particular generation will remember marriage prep, if you went through that, uh, or, or, or but that kind of thing where you wheel out uh, this phrase, you know, don't, don't, don't go to sleep angry. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a helpful thought. But let, let's just be honest about it. It is really challenging, isn't it? It is really challenging not to, not to go to bed, not to finish the day angry. Anger has a place, but... Watch out for it. It is like a werewolf. Treat with caution and make sure you kick him out before midnight. Right? Because otherwise, anger gets his fangs out. And that's, that really comes out so powerfully in verse 27. I've been thinking about this so much this week. It's so true, isn't it? Do not give the devil a foothold. The two things are connected. Finish your anger so you don't give the devil a foothold. God's word is so true, isn't it? We, we know this. Anger is the devil's gateway. Ongoing anger, and by the way, that can be shouty, screamy anger, or it can be seething, long-term, quiet, passive-aggressive anger. It's both anger. The devil loves it. He loves that stuff. That's his foothold. That's his ideal working environment. That's something he can really press off of in our lives. But there is, of course, a positive here. Uh, you know, perhaps you're in a situation where you can just see the havoc that the devil is creating in your life or the lives of the people around you. It is possible to kick him out. You can get the devil to slip up and slip off if the anger goes. And this is a great moment to give thanks for the peacemakers amongst us. We know who you are. Perhaps you do too. Those people whose presence in moments of emotional pain lead us away from anger to understanding. This has really got under my uh, skin, this particular verse this week. And I'll show you an, an image. You can discard it. It's not useful. I, I imagine a, a great big climbing wall, Yosemite National Park, huge rock face. The devil wants to climb this thing. If he climbs it, he defeats the church. The devil's got a challenge, though. How to get up this rock what he needs is a foothold. Every time we're angry and there's anger in our church, little parts of the wall pop out and he can grab onto one and get his way up. But when the anger stops, those footholds just pop back in again and he slips straight off. That's what we need in our lives. A smooth rock face of a life with no anger and a community with no anger. And we go, make, make of that what you will. Okay, so that's good anger. Next one, a sharing spirit. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, look, this is really uh, full bore stuff, all this passage here. It's quite heavy stuff. So let's have a little bit of a celebration. Uh, let's give ourselves a break. I was rereading this morning. I was like, ha, 
The Apostle Paul, you may have had to deal with stealing. I am uh, joyous that uh, the only stealing, as far as I know, that I have to address uh, in our particular um, kind of life together is confined to discussions in our household about who had more Halloween sweets uh, at the beginning of this week than, uh, than someone else. Um, uh, the uh, you know, unnamed uh, under 10-year-olds will, of course, not be uh, featuring any further in this discussion on this point. Uh, <laughs> but actually, this is a wonderful sharing church. And I think we've got so much to celebrate here. Uh, if you're not on ECUG, our distribution list, where lots of people are constantly sharing things for free, it's wonderful. Let's keep that spirit of generosity going. And thank you for all of those who give the margins of your lives to share with others. It's wonderful sharing spirit. And then finally, as we wrap up, compassion and forgiveness. Verse 32 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I love the way Paul closes on forgiveness. It reminds us that for all the wisdom of the commands that we've had up till now, the reality in a a Christ-like life and indeed a Christ-like community, we are not going to manage to live like the stuff that we've heard before consistently. We, we just won't do it. And so, in addition to all of those other things that we've just shared about living well, for our lives together, we're going to need something else. We're going to need compassion and forgiveness. We will need to, again and again, in our friendships, our marriages, our churches, our communities, we will need to again and again find ways of clearing out the hurt, of clearing out all the disappointment we have with each other that we haven't managed to live the way that we're supposed to. We will need forgiveness. And you know, forgiveness is just the most extraordinary anti-venom, isn't it, to the power of sin. It is All the havoc the devil creates in relationships, it undoes it in just such a wonderful way. It's a double release. It's a a release for the person who has done wrong, the person who needs to be forgiven, and a chance for them to again just receive acceptance and welcome, breathe that in. And then it's a release for the person who does the forgiving. You know, when you forgive, you're not just letting someone else off, you're letting yourself off. Because you're now no longer burdened and imprisoned by your bitterness and your anger. It is the reset that every relationship, every community, this side of eternity, will need again and again. And perhaps right now, that's a word for you, in whatever circumstances you're struggling with, to find that spirit of forgiveness. And if we're struggling, this passage gives us all the resources we need to to, to know where to find it. Have a look again at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The resources, the deep well for each Christian person, the hope for forgiveness is in this, that we have one who has looked into our lives. He's seen all the rubbish, all the worst moments of our life, the the ones that we ourselves are still even in denial of. And he says, in Christ, I forgive you. And out of that, we can forgive one another. There's so much there, isn't it? I encourage you to take these chapters home, perhaps reread them again. Think, what's the Lord speaking to you about uh, from these verses here? But now what we're going to do is we're going to share the Lord's Supper. 
And this is a wonderful uh, picture of where we've ended our time together. Because we're going to be thinking about how Christ, in Christ, God has forgiven us, welcomed us to be at his table, as it were. And now we stand side by side, reconciled with him, and we pray with one another as we receive his forgiveness. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.